This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is a special day in the history of Chapman University. It's a day that the Chapman students who are here in the room will never forget. And it's a day that future Chapman students will speak about with awe and envy. After all, it is not just every day that two of the greatest music artists in the world take the time to come to our campus or really any campus to share their expertise with students. To them and their team who helped to make this possible, on behalf of all of us at Chapman and at The Hollywood Reporter, for which today's gathering is being recorded as a podcast, a truly heartfelt thank you. Now, I could stand up here citing charts and statistics that make the case for why these two are so remarkable. For example, their songs have been streamed and their videos have been played literally billions of times. She was the first artist born in this millennium to have a song hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. He, at just 22, became the youngest ever winner of the Producer of the Year Grammy. She became only the second person, the first female, and the youngest person ever at 18 to win all four main Grammy categories, Best New Artist, Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Album of the Year, all in a single year. He's been nominated for 17 Grammys, including three that are pending at the moment, winning eight. She's been nominated for 25 Grammys, including six that are pending, winning seven. They both won an Oscar, and the list goes on. But the clearest evidence of why they're so remarkable is in their music itself. Their discography, of course, includes the 2017 EP, Don't Smile at Me, the 2019 studio album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go?, which has already been chosen by Rolling Stone as one of the 500 greatest albums of all time, with singles including Bad Guy and Everything I Wanted. There's the 2021 studio album, Happier Than Ever, with singles including Therefore I Am, My Future, Your Power, and Happier Than Ever, the 2022 EP Guitar Songs, a Bond movie song, No Time to Die, and most recently, a song at the very heart of Greta Gerwig's acclaimed summer blockbuster Barbie, What Was I Made For? Today, we are privileged enough to get to ask them about it all, so without further ado, would you please join me in welcoming to Chapman University and back to the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast, Billie Eilish and Phineas. Thank you guys so much. Believe me, we realize how uh, special an opportunity this is for all the students and this is all cool. of us. Thanks for the intro. It of very course. Nice. Of Hi course. guys. So, I would like to just begin, if we can, right at the very beginning. Your parents were actors. Your mom, I believe, wrote some songs of her own. How much did any of that influence your own desire to be performers of some kind? Um, well, our mom was just a very, very talented songwriter and um, taught us kind of all the basics of like learning to write music. And um, I was a huge inspiration. I mean, 
our, my mom is like the you know one of the people I look up to the most in the world and um yeah I don't know <laughs> I don't know now what we are going to do is intersperse with my questions, questions from students that uh, we're putting in a certain order so that hopefully this all makes sense and flows. And for that, we are going to first go to Riley LeBlanc. Riley. <laughs> Hi, Billy and Phineas. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Um, I was just wondering, what actually led to the two of you to begin making music together for the first time? And did you, like, immediately enjoy collaborating together or did it take a little while? Good question. <laughs> so I feel like everything I say is stupid. It, sorry. I just like I want like, I like keep <laughs> I keep like starting saying something and being like, why would they wanna hear that? But um okay, so when I was like 10 or so, no no no, when fin Phineas was eleven and he can speak for himself for this, but he started writing music and I just thought it was really cool. And I was like, I want to do that. And so when I was 11, I started writing music. And um, so we were both kind of, we're four years apart. And that was like definitely coming out of an age of, we've always been close, but that was like, we had just been in an age where we were like, as Phineas puts it, there Elite, was. Well, there's like four year age gap, like gets smaller and smaller as you get older, right? Billy's almost 22 and I'm 26. And that doesn't, that doesn't feel like insane. Like I remember being 22 super well. And I'm not that different of a person. But when you're, you know, 14 and 10, you're like, this is, this is ridiculous. And he says that he saw no value in me then. <laughs> Straight up. But he's not wrong. So, but anywho, I... To give an example, when I was 14, I came home one day and Billy and her best friend were doing a yard sale outside of the house <laughs> of stuff from my room. <laughs> They're just selling my possessions. Uh, to the neighborhood and I just like grabbed them all and like walked back into the house anyway so so as as the gap closed we just sort of got closer and closer and can I just ask so Phineas when you're 18 Billy was 13 I think yeah you go on you you're an actor as well and you started on Glee yeah you guys as a result I think we're not seeing each other as much as you had up to that point did that have yeah. something to do with collaborating well that's kind of what I was saying is that we had just come out of this to answer your question, which we did not do. <laughs> we had just come out of like a period of like not being as close as we were before and then were after because it was that awkward age of like just different teenager versus like child is just a different vibe. And um, but I thought Phineas was so cool and he was so, so talented, like from the jump of writing. And I have always loved music so, 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 so much and loved singing so much and have always written. And he was really good. I was not. And then at a certain point, when I was 13, I think you were like newly 18. 17. 17. Yeah. I don't know. We, um, we were like, why don't we just like make some little stupid little SoundCloud, you know, songs. We could have like a free download link and we put out like a tiny little dumb little song. Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember like the she's broken, but then he's okay? <laughs> it, we named it that. <laughs> but like with the capitalizations in it. The truth about collaborating though is that she has always had that like the voice, like her voice. Obviously now when we listen to recordings from years ago, you're like, oh, you sound so much younger. But at the time she didn't have a voice that sounded like a little kid's voice. She just had a beautiful voice. But recording 
is laborious and, you know, doing 30 takes to get the best one or whatever you might have to do, especially the less experience you have, the more challenging it is. You know, it just takes some sort of like discipline. It takes not getting bored of the process. So it was sort of, I was like always excited to like work with her in any capacity. It was just kind of about like her aging into being like, no, that would be fun. But I remember like talking to, about it all the time. Like yeah, I remember yeah, yeah, being yeah. like, dude, we should make music together sometime. Yes, totally. And it was like when she was 13, the process of, because I'd been sort of like trying to teach myself how to produce all of like high school. Um, and the process finally was like not, so annoying to her to be recording all day and you know because it is like a boring process in a lot of ways then like the first real song we made was this song called ocean eyes and that's yeah i was like 13 and you were like newly 18 yep and we made ocean eyes and put it out on soundcloud i have a chapman tie into ocean eyes if you want a chapman tie he does um i was in a terrible terrible band and i was 18 and we, we were doing any little opportunity we could possibly do. And somebody we knew knew somebody who had like a student radio show thing, a Chapman. And we drove down here to do like some little radio thing. And we sucked. We just like sounded terrible. <laughs> and the like, we were just like on whatever mic they'd put us on. And we just all knew we sounded terrible. And then we had our long like drive of shame back to LA <laughs> for an hour. And we were definitely like the vibe in the car was like, we, we got to quit. Like, this sucks. <laughs> and um, and I got back to Highland Park, which is where we were living at the time. And I had this, I had uh, had been talking to this manager, who's still our manager today, who, who at the time I'd been talking to about this producer that he managed. Anyway, I got this text from him that was like, what is this song that you produced? And we'd put out Ocean Eyes on SoundCloud the night before. And so the day I came to Chapman was the day that it started to get like picked up by blogs and stuff. So I have this kind of weird <laughs> sense memory of like being at Chapman and checking like the SoundCloud streams and being like, wow, I have over a hundred streams on this. <laughs> anyway, That's but awesome. that was like the day that Ocean Eyes was first out, which I thought was cute. Anyway. Let's go to Dylan Flores. Hi, Billy and Phineas. Love the fits. My name is Dylan Flores. I'm a was that production. prepared before you saw our outfits? I was practicing it like so many times. What if what if I looked trash? He would he would have hesitated more. Even like I, I, I love the outfits. <laughs> What's up, Dylan? Hi, I'm a film production major. I'm cool. curious about your mentors and teachers that you've had in your life and what role they played in your careers. So, <laughs> trigger warning: I didn't go to school. <laughs> I never, not one day of it. Not one day, guys. Um, Ask us any question about anything, and you'll find out how that went. <laughs> Wait, what? what we know about any form. No, no, it's true. We don't know much. <laughs> but mentors um, come in all forms, though. You were in the the uh, LA choir, right? And right. So, so, okay. Mentors and teachers. We were actually just talking about this because. There's so many people that I want to like thank in the world that have been such an enormous part of my like journey as a person and as an artist and a musician and a friend and a lover and a, you know, in, in every single way. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, I think about them all the time. And then sometimes, cause, cause you know, life is so long and experience is just like constantly happening and people are constantly inspiring you and pissing you off and making you happy and all the things. And you forget like, damn, I forgot that that person was such a huge inspiration to me in, in, and made me who I am in this way of my life. Um, I feel like my, honestly, 
this isn't going to mean anything to you, but my gymnastics teacher growing up, his name was Clancy McBride. And I loved him so much and he really inspired me and I don't know, it was really cool. And my dance teacher, Fred Diaz, who was the person who asked us to make a song for a dance and then we made Ocean Eyes for that purpose. I always feel really thankful for him. Um, and then like people, you know, I've always looked up to like Marina and the Diamonds and Lana and Aurora and yeah, yeah. And um, there's this guy, Bloody Osiris, that was like my biggest inspiration in fashion. And um, I don't know, there's so many that I, I, I really like want to make a list and like write them. Mackenzie? Fucking Mackenzie, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> I haven't seen you in like a hundred, you work here? <laughs> what? <laughs> I grew up with this bitch. What's up, dude? <laughs> sorry. Small world. Sorry, sorry. That's so cool. Nice to see you. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> Phineas, was there anybody you want to add to, to the list here? Well, I mean, it's the point that Billy makes, which I think is interesting and very true of both of our sort of professional life, is like we we haven't had that much direct like mentorship from kind of a like a music place. Like the people Billy mentioned are like literally like her gymnastics teacher, dance teacher. I think that like what really translated because we started young enough that like it was really just like adults treating us like our ideas weren't terrible. And that didn't have to be within the realm of music. It just had to be like an adult listening to us talk about our dreams and our hopes and our ideas and and validating them. Um, and I've tried to I've tried to like do that. And in fact, the the people in music that I was turning to usually like steered me like wrong. Um, and, and I don't think that's like necessarily their fault as much as it is, as it is like every person's journey through their career is going to be so different, especially in entertainment. It's like different every single time. So most advice that worked for you in the past is not incredibly applicable to the next instance. Like if we walked you through like every how of how we have this career and you to a T followed all of it, like it wouldn't work. And if you said like, I'm going to do this and this and this, and I was like, Oh, I don't know if that's going to work. Like that would probably work better. You know what I mean? Like it's so different every time. Um, and the people that you mentioned, like the artists, Marina, Lana, uh, Aurora. like Aurora, we've met them once or twice, but like those are people that influenced us and inspired us and taught us a lot just from being a fan, just from listening to their music and watching their I videos. Like being a fan has been my biggest yeah. mentor. Straight up. I it didn't really have any mentors or like, you know, people that were like the person that I, you know, that taught me, you know, what taught me was like being a fan. Like I am a fan. That is what I am, you know? And like, I just, sometimes I feel goofy out here because I'm like, <laughs> like sometimes like, I don't know, I'll be in somebody's house and I'm like, you know, it's like a, a celebrity or whoever the fuck. And I'm like, you know, they think I'm this like somebody, but really like I tricked them into like letting a fan like be in their house. <laughs> like I swear to God, I'm like in people's house. I'm like <laughs> looking in their trash. <laughs> Listen, I'm a big fan. <laughs> well, speaking of big fan, I know we have Chloe Avant has a question. Chloe? 
Hello. Hi, Billy. Hi, Phineas. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm Chloe. I'm a screenwriting major here at Dodge. My question is, you guys made a lot of your music in your childhood home. Now that you have homes of your own, is there a new space that you like to collaborate and make your music in? Good question. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, good question. We do. We work in my brother's house in his basement that he has turned into a very cute little studio. And that's where we made all of our last album, Happier Than Ever. And then this new album that we're almost done with, that's where we made it as well. And it's And the Barbie song. And and the Barbie song. Yeah. New music. Yeah. But yeah, new. Yeah, it's got some daylight. Like the basement, it's totally a basement, but there are windows, which is necessary. I don't (laughs) like working in. Yeah, I personally hate studios. Yeah. So much. There's no daylight. Um, But you know, also, and, and this is true often, like we also love just writing songs uh, on a guitar or piano, like in living rooms. And we've written a fair amount of hotel rooms. Like to us, it's like wherever you're living, you know, we almost never go to an actual recording studio complex. And part of that is because we don't know how to use anything, you know, <laughs> like what, like there's very little good to come of me sitting in front of like an SSL board. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> Let's go to Landon Davies. Hi, Billy and Phineas. Landon. It's <laughs> good. So when making music, um, how do you balance making something that's in- important to you and making something that will be commercial for the rest of the world? Damn. Good question. <laughs> it's a really good question. I love that question. Um, I don't know. Um, I feel that when... God, that's such, a t- that's such an interesting thing to think about. Um, I feel that When we, I have found that when I try to make something that will be more, more, um, what's the word accessible or, or what's the word? Those are all correct. Whatever. (laughs) Means, yeah. If if I, if I like anytime I am like, Ooh, what are people going to want? Like, what do I, okay, maybe, maybe they want this or maybe they want that. Like I always like screw myself because I'm like, that's not, that's not why people like you you know like people don't like you for the fake things you do they like you for the real things you do do you know what i mean like nobody likes somebody for being a poser they like them because well i don't know if anyone likes a poser but do you know what i'm saying that it's it's not i don't know i have a i have a kind of a two i have i've thought about this a fair amount um because outside of the work I do with Billy, I'll, I'll come in and work with an artist who's had a whole career before me. And oftentimes, you know, this is a thing I've been lucky enough to be involved in a couple times, but it's an interesting place. There, there, there's a kind of a category of musician who's like your favorite artist's favorite artist. They're like sort of like darling within the career, uh, within the, the sort of field, but they're not selling out an arena and their song isn't going number one, et cetera. But then the biggest artist in the world is like, that artist is my biggest influence. And there's a kind of a category of that of people that are like burnt out on that of like, I influenced the other person who made millions of dollars and I, you know, can't afford to go on tour and spend enough money. And, you know, that's, that's really tough. And one of the things that I come in and do is I'm like, you know, some of it is like literally structure. It's like, you've made this amazing piece of music, repeat the chorus. <laughs> like that sounds so kind of, obvious and goofy but sometimes it really is just like a structural thing it doesn't it doesn't mean pandering at all it just means kind of like looking at it as a piece of furniture and making it a little more usable um but i also think that above everything else you're just going to make what you love 
Like you're going to make what you listen to and what you're inspired by. And, you know, I, I think like if you listened to like deeply, deeply obscure, you know, less than a thousand sign uh, stuff on Spotify, like either that'll influence your thing and you'll luck out and your thing will get really popular. Or you make something that's also really cool and complicated and um, challenging. I think that that would be like more than thinking about it from a perspective of like, how do I make something that's going to be huge? You think about it from a perspective of like, do I love, like, would I love it? You know? Here's an interesting one from Lila Barukim about your writing process. Lila. Hi, I'm Lila Barukim and I'm a broadcast and documentary major. And I was wondering when you experience writer's block, what do you do? Good question. Yeah, these guys are stumping me. <laughs> um, it's tough. I feel like it's good to not put too much pressure on yourself with that. Like... I don't know. Uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody about this. It's actually Greta Gerwig, which is hilarious. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> we were talking about how, you know, creativity takes boredom, you know, and productivity takes creativity. And, you know, if you're just like doing a bunch of stuff and you never have a second, and then it's like, okay, here's my two hours to create. It's like, well, I don't have anything yet. Like I haven't given myself time to like know what I even want to even say. I'm, I'm, I'm like completely somewhere else. I'm not here right now. And I feel like the times when I've been the most creative are when I just like put down my phone and I like stop doing stuff. And I just, I'm like, let me just exist and feel and like see stuff and look around and, you know, experience. But it's definitely like a very demoralizing feeling, writer's block. And I will say that, um, I've said this before, so if anyone has heard me say this, I apologize for repeating myself. But, um, you know, in January, which is when we wrote What Was I Made For for the Barbie movie, we had been in like a chunk of time of quote unquote writer's block. And I don't even know if writer's block is real. It's it's more just like... Self-doubt. Self it's like self-doubt. Because the thing is, it's not like you're incapable of making a song. You could literally sit down and make a song. I promise you. It just might be terrible. But you can do it. Or you might it. think it's terrible. Or you might think it's terrible. But it doesn't mean... It's not like you have like a, a, you know, a dam stopping the stream in your head of creating. You can still create. You just don't think it's very good. And that's really disheartening and frustrating and you're like fuck I don't I can't do it like I can't I actually can't do it but you could but during this period of time we had been working a lot and trying to come up with stuff and just like not making anything good and it felt bad it wasn't like we were making like funny silly goofy little things and we loved it it was like this doesn't actually feel good and I had just said this the other day that like I was genuinely like worried that it was over and I was like I don't know if I have this in me anymore you know and it was also scary to think about because everything that I have made and put out in my life has been when I was 13 14 15 16 17 18 19 and now I'm like this like adult and I've never made anything and so I'm like well that I guess that would make sense that like maybe I lost it. I don't know. That's maybe like growing up is like losing that or something. And we tried and tried and tried and like could not make anything. And then 
we saw this Barbie movie and oh my God, is it amazing. And the next day we had a really uncreative day and we were really bummed out and I was going to leave. And then we were like, you know what? Let's just try to do this. And I think now that I think about it and I'm blabbing on, I, I think a big help for writer's block is just do something else with that. Stop trying to write that one song or do that one craft or whatever the thing you are interested in doing. And like, hmm, you know what? I'm going to write a song about a, a mailman who tripped and fell and broke his leg, you know? Tell like, me more. <laughs> yeah, just like change it. Just like change your mind about it. And I don't, I'm saying stupid things. See, oh, it's, it's, great, it's great, it's great, it's great. Okay. Um, I was just going to add to that really quickly. Like, I also think that it is it is like creativity is a muscle group and um just like working out and then taking a you know break you, it can atrophy and you can get a little out of shape i felt that um in the last probably like the top of the year when billy's talking about it i'd, I'd spent i'd spent much less time writing than almost ever in my life and i'd atrophied a little bit is that because to, you were performing right yes we were on tour yeah, yeah. like all of last year um, yeah, so I'd had less opportunity to write and I'd sort of been like, ah, I need to write right now. Take, you know, take time off from it. And it was harder to come back into it and get it going. And then sort of through power of repetition, I felt better about it. And also I was, um, same thing Billy was saying, like I had to get a little bored. Like I, I have the most, like all my more creative ideas are like when I'm on a hike, you know, just like doing weird sort of like things that are not looking at my phone or answering a question or something like that yeah anyway so i'm gonna have the next two questioners say their questions back to back because i think to some extent you answered the first one but just in case this makes you think of anything else so casey sandoval and then izzy shulman if you can go back to back hi billy and phineas i'm casey and i'm a screenwriting major my question for you is do you force yourself to make music at certain times and for certain amounts of time or do you just do it when inspiration strikes Hi, I'm Izzy. Um, over the years, what have you each found to be the most difficult song to produce, either emotionally or technically? Great questions. Yeah, good stuff. The, the easy answer to the first one is we schedule it. Like, you know, obviously if you're then uninspired, you can, you know. Call it. Call it. Or if you're inspired at a time where you didn't schedule it, whatever. But we find it really helpful to just schedule Block it like a times. job. And like our, our thing, the last couple records has been like, for most of the cycle, we do three days a week. Do like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And then as the album sort of like progresses and gets closer to done, we maybe do more days. Um, but yeah, scheduling it is super important. Yeah. And then that second question, I guess, was there was there a song that you found most challenging to either emotionally or technically? I love that question. Honestly, emotionally, I have a song called TV that was just like tough. To, um, tough to record, hard to sing. And then I was just like in a bad zone and then was having to like, I was in Europe also and I was on tour and I was stuck in these hotels and I was comping all the vocals on Phineas's laptop like for days and it was bumming me out. <laughs> like it's just, it was just such a bummer of a song. And um, yeah, so I think emotionally that was a really tough one. It's like, it's hard for me to listen to that one sometimes. Um, although I love it. And then technically, what are your thoughts on that? It's a kind of a cop-out answer, so I apologize. But we're like, 
we're always trying to learn new stuff in terms of writing music. So it, the, the rule is like it usually just gets more and more difficult. Like we set ourselves challenges, you know. So like even though we've made albums now, like the stuff on the new record is harder, you know, from a kind of a singing difficulty standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's harder. Yeah, and that's have, kind of on purpose. We know? have like one on this new record that has been just like, it's just been causing problems. <laughs> it's just like challenging in so many ways. It's hard to sing. It's like, it's just like kind of complicated. And like, also it's so interesting when, with music at least, like when you don't even know what you want it to sound like. And it's just like very impossible to like move through that. So there's been like a couple on this album that are pretty challenging, but in like a, I don't know. It's, it's still exciting, though. This is another uh, process question, I guess, but Sam Lepson. Uh, yes. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a screenwriting major. And my question is... As you have an accent. I do indeed. <laughs> what are you doing with an accent? I don't know. It's just, just sort of happened to me. I don't know how to say it. Anyway, as songwriters, how do you know when a song is finished? I imagine that there's probably a temptation to infinitely tinker with it. I mean, from a songwriting perspective, right, you get to the end of it, right? You've written your, you've written, you've written out your idea. And then if anything bothers you, you go back and change it, right? You're like, nah, I don't like that line in that verse. Let me see if I can beat it. And then from a production standpoint, yeah, you know, unlimited versions and options and it can be infuriating. I usually like try to treat music production like it's scales, and it has to have a balance and an equilibrium. And if you add one thing and it starts to tip the scale at the end, that's when I know that I've gone too far. Like scales or Jenga, like some analogy of like one less piece, one more piece, you're going to tip it all over. And it, that kind of happens. It, it all feels pretty good. And you're like, what else can I add? And you try something and it ruins it. You're like, oh, great. Take it out. And that's when I feel done. How about you? Well, you and I have a very like structural like rules that, that we follow. And I, f I feel like for us, for songwriting at least, I don't, I don't know if I ever feel like, uh, this isn't, like, could we add more? Because we, we write in a very like classic kind of, classic with a twist maybe, but like classic verse, you know, pre-chorus, verse, whatever it is. Verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, verse, right? And you can kind of play with that, but those were kind of, Honestly, our mom taught us a lot about structure in songwriting and what was cool about knowing... And never that we had to do structure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What's cool about knowing structure, uh, you know, kind of history of structure in songwriting and like classic structures in songwriting is that once you know them, then you can be like, oh, sick. Like now I know that and I can like play with that. It's kind of like driving. Like, you know the rules, but like... <laughs> <laughs> Like I know all the rules. You know the and now laws. I can like, play can with them. I can them. play with them a little. <laughs> Let's go to Sophia Chu. Hi, Billy and Phineas. My name is Sophia Chu, and I'm a film production major. Um, my question for you is: What is the best note or suggestion that each of you have gotten from each other? Ooh. Ooh from each other. Cool question. <laughs> I mean it. Cool I mean it. question. It sounded very sarcastic, but it wasn't. Nice, nice question. <laughs> no, I mean it. It was a good question. Um, what do you think? Best advice? Best advice from each other. We give each other so little advice. Like we really do. We're we're like. And we're, if we do, it's like infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're always like looking at the problem together. Do you know what I mean? Like if she loves the way something's sounding, that's great. And if I love the way it's, if like if one of us are unhappy, then we're trying to solve a problem together. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Billy has a kind of a like beautifully emotional response to the technical side of things. And that's like something you get more and more divorced from the more you learn. You kind of like, you kind of trick yourself into thinking you're doing everything the right way. And that it's not the right way if it's not evoking an emotional response, right? Um, and so I think that's been a like a constant reminder through Billy of like, this doesn't feel good. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I go like, but it, but it's correct. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it doesn't like, it doesn't matter it, if it's not making her feel the way she needs to feel, it's not done or it's not, um, being done the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think about advice. I feel like, you know what Phineas has said to me that I always loved is, sometimes like again we don't give each other much advice but I think every now and then like Phineas will say something to me like super quick like um for instance when I first when I played Coachella for the first time when I was like 16 or 17 I all my screens were all fucked up and I was ready to go right when I was supposed to go on stage and then I had to sit and wait for 40 minutes while the audience blamed me for being late while I was like I've been waiting to go on stage, but the screens are all broken and nobody's letting me go on there. And basically we just had to do it and whatever. And I was walking on stage and I was really, really freaked out and nervous and embarrassed and self-conscious and yelling. And Phineas just leaned over to me and he said, if anything goes wrong, just act like it's not. And I was like, that's, nice. that's cool. I don't know. Lee is like cool. pure id in some ways. And it's an amazing quality of hers. What? But like, it's, it is also like, it is also this thing where like, and I love this about Billy, but sometimes I'm like, no, it's okay. It's fine. Like, Bill, like if there's a mistake that only Billy notices, there's like, a, like if there was something wrong that only she noticed right now, she'd point it out to all of you. <laughs> and like, that's kind of a beautiful trait. But sometimes I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> you don't need to tell them. Uh, hey guys, my name is Leger. So my question is, other than each other's, whose feedback about your music do you seek out and value before sending it out to the world? That's such a Nobody. great question. Um, you know, we play our stuff for our parents. That's a that's one. But uh, like opinions, though, I, I think that like we used to operate in a very different way, where it was like send to the team, make sure everybody. You know, we had an A and R. We still have. We an have A&R. one. But, yeah, anyway. But we used to have all these people we would send everything to, and what do you think, and do you think this? And I think after a while, um, we just really trusted ourselves, and we were like, you know what? We know what we want it to be, and that's how it feels right now. So I think that at this point, it's really the two of us. And then, honestly, like, friends. You know, Phineas's girlfriend, Claudia, is, like, a big one. We always are, like, getting her upstairs and bringing her down and, like, listen, can you listen? And then it's got cool taste. I mean, anyone with cool taste is like a good um, person to to play your stuff for. I mean, very rare. Like we're so critical of our own thing that by the time that we actually are sort of like, okay, this is we think it might be done. Like it's we've we've really cross examined it a lot. Um, but a couple times, I remember when the party's over. Actually, we were like, 
so tripped out by the time we finished recording it and we sent it to our managers and our A&R and I remember we were like, <laughs> like, let us know what we can do to make it better. And they were like, sounds great. Um, and so sometimes you need that person too. Sometimes you need a person to to listen to something with fresh ears that you haven't had in months. And so, and we have that. I feel like we've had that a couple times on this new record too of like a thing that we may be like have no sort of perspective on anymore and and I think perspective over kind of like criticism or notes just like perspective is what we're looking also, for. Also I wouldn't say like we do think the thing I was saying in like a cocky way it's really not about that's not like we're like well we're great and nobody needs to hear it it's more just like we feel you should feel confident in in what you like but then there are moments of like hold on we're we're so numb to this at this point that I need somebody else to like listen and tell me what they yeah, think absolutely and it's yeah. really cool I heard that you guys are doing this again and I know I think this was going on at the time they made that RJ Cutler documentary about you guys that you kind of have GoPros going the whole time. So if you ever wanted to go back and see the exact way a song came about, that's on record. Yeah, we've been we've been recording everything we've been for this album, at least for Happier Than Ever. We didn't really record anything, but for this new one, um, we've been we've been like having a camera in the corner for every single second of writing it, which is like blackmailing ourselves yeah (laughs) it's crazy because it's just us candidly being siblings and joking and talking shit and stuff it's great hi guys um my name is cole i'm a screenwriting major here at dodge and i just have a question um some singer songwriters said that they love writing songs more than they like performing live um i was wondering what you guys like the most and what you guys maybe don't like the most good question thanks cole um I do not like writing songs. Just going to say it. I find it incredibly upsetting and frustrating and irritating. I love having written a song and I love listening to it. And I, I like it when it feels good. Like I like coming up with something good. And when we're in, a, when, when we're sitting and we, we come up with the line and we're both like, Ooh, loved that. That feels really good. But the act of like sitting there, and playing different chords and like singing different melodies, I find really, really frustrating and um, makes me feel like I'm not talented. And then when it's finished, I love it. And I think I'm a G, but <laughs> I love, 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 love performing so much. It's like truly one of my favorite things to do in the world. And I love to sing. I just really, really love to sing. Um, and, and I also just like love hanging out with my brother. Like this dude rocks and we have so much fun together and it's just gotten like better and better over the years. And as we've gotten older and have our own lives and live by ourselves and, you know, it's just, it's so cool. So I, I like working. I like writing because I like to hang out with my brother and I like to have made music. She's getting better and better at producing and she's getting better at engineering too. So I would I'd sort of caveat that with like... I like the, that a lot. She's quite good at that. She comps all her own vocals and um, that's great. I kind of... like I'd, I've had wonderful peak life experiences performing, but I really love uh, writing, you know, so it's a little inverse. But they are both wonderful. And there's like nothing like performing a thing that you made privately in your room and having this kind of communal experience with this song like that's an incredibly validating but there's degrees experience. of that right because billy I, i've the, like it's a tough thing because the more great music you make the more people want to come see you but you've said 
being in a large venue like a stadium or something or an arena is not your favorite way to perform, right? Because it's less personal or what's the reason? I feel like what you're referencing is is like stadiums, which are like 80,000 people type shit is like, it's amazing and it's like astounding. But when you're up there, it's so not intimate. Like when you're in, when I have seen shows in a stadium, I'm like, that bitch does not know I'm here. <laughs> like they do not see me. I could do anything. I could be, I could be shitting up here and they wouldn't even know. <laughs> and I don't like that. I don't like when I'm on stage. I want them to know if I'm shitting I, at their true. show. But when I'm on stage, I want to be able to see everyone. And I, you know, but but with that being said, my favorite venue to play is an arena. So, you know, it's like 15,000 people, whatever. Well, which uh, which but, arena? <laughs> is it a specific one? A, a specific arena? Yeah. No, I don't have, I'm not, oh, okay, I'm not, okay. not that bougie, but <laughs> I do love playing arenas and I think it's like a perfect size for me, at least at this point in my life and career or whatever, um, because it still feels like full and good and solid and big, but then I can see everybody, right. but they still don't know that I can, but oh, I sure Well, can. you're looking, she knows. <laughs> I mean, she, she, you spotted her. It's true. <laughs> I did. It's true. Uh, let's go to Hannah Etienne. Hi, my name is Hannah Etienne and I'm a creative producing major here. Sweet. Thank you. Um, your studio albums ver feel very like aesthetically cohesive. And I'm just wondering, do you decide on like a vibe or a theme before you start writing a recording? Or do, do the songs just sort of come together as they're being recorded? Good cool question. question. <laughs> <laughs> I think the vibe is determined like midway, if not towards the end through. Because I think in a way... I mean, we've never really tried that also. We've never really been like... We tried on this album and we failed. That's true. Yeah. we the, Before we'd written a note of any song, we had this whole like brainstorming session. We were like, it's going to be like this. And then it isn't at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it can box you in a little bit, um, which sometimes can be good because it, it gives you less option to stray and like gives you more of like a um, barrier to create within. But I think... For us, at least, it's been, you know, it's 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 kinder to ourselves to just like start and see what the hell happens and see where it goes. But with this album we're working on right now, it's, it was so interesting the way it happened. Like it was so for the first many, many months of making it, I was like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like, I don't know how to do this. I don't remember how to do this. I don't know. I don't even know what I like. I don't know what people like. I don't know what's going to be good. Who's going to like, I just was like very in my head about it. And I think that just deciding to not worry about that and just make whatever I wanted to make and whatever felt like right to me was really the way to go. So yeah, it, the, the vibe kind of creates itself. I feel like, I feel like with, like visuals, at least for me, because I'm like a big visual person. And I love making visuals and like artwork and stuff. That stuff really comes out just when you're just doing it. It just it just happens. It's cool. Hello, my name is Jake, and I'm a film and TV sound design major. And my question is: You have said that you guys sometimes write songs by adopting different characters. Um, for example. Um, a good example is Bellyache. 
And can you talk more about that approach? Sure. I mean, I think that it's a little like a form of, of fighting uh, writer's block kind of from the jump. If you have something you're burning to say, go ahead and say it, right? If you've gone through a breakup or, you know, something that is making you feel really emotional, like you're going to want to get that out. And then I think, you know, by that same token, I don't want to live a torrid, crazy, turbulent life for the sake of art. Like I want to be happy and enjoy my life. So I'm not like blowing up my relationships and getting in fights with my friends and stuff. Like I have like healthy relationships and I want to like, to me, like the only thing that's really important to that end is like being an empathetic person. Right. So if I'm watching a friend go through a breakup or I've read a book about a like crazy, like heartbreaking experience, like, my empathy is enough for me to put myself in their shoes and write a song from that perspective. Um, but I think it's a healthy way of, you know, not letting yourself be limited by like whatever is going on in your life. <laughs> if, you don't have to, you don't have to answer if there's nothing. At, at no, time. I mean, I would just second that. I think that it's, I forgot. That's when we were when we wrote belly just, for, <laughs> just to keep it really quick when we wrote belly like, like billy never driven a car she was like 13 or 14 so it's like it's a good way of writing from experience you haven't even had yet too. oh right the character thing yeah yeah, yeah the Sorry. character thing <laughs> i personally like in talking about not writing not liking songwriting very much i really do find writing from like a character perspective or like a different story that isn't my own like i find that very satisfying that's 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 more fun to me. And I just I've always found that it's it's much harder for me to write from my own experience, especially in the moment. I think like I can write in hindsight, you know, I can write about my life from years ago. But even that is like it's hard to be vulnerable, you know, and I also there's like there's such an imposter syndrome in there of like, who cares? Why would I who wants to hear this? You know, I don't have what do I even have to say? Whereas, you know, you have a friend or you know somebody or whatever who's going through something really challenging. You're like, that is so much more important. I want to write about that. I want to, you know, I love thinking about their point of view. Like, I've talked about this a bunch, but it was such a turning point for me, which was when I was like 15-ish, 14. I, it was the first time I'd ever done it. And I, I wrote a song from the perspective of somebody that I had like hurt. And I had never done anything like that before. And I remember the moment like I was sitting on the bed with my ukulele and I was like, I was going to write a song like about how I felt about it. And then I was like, you know what? I actually hurt that fool and I'm going to write from his perspective. And it really changed how I viewed the situation. And, you know, people are always like, you know, you, you walk a mile in their shoes or like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> There, there's a related question. I'm going to jump the line in a different order here because there's a, another question that's coming that I think is a good follow-up here. So, Anthony Post. Hi, um, I'm Anthony. I'm a film studies major. Um, given how great a job you've done writing songs that serve stories other than your own, would you have any interest in writing an original musical for either the stage or the screen? Woo! For sure. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Phineas has really, really good ideas for musicals already, and I'm so excited to see where they go. I'm very excited. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Elliot Kenny. I am a sophomore screenwriting major here at Chapman and a film music minor. Um, if you had to pick one, which of your songs would you say most outperformed your expectations for it, 
And which would you say deserved a better reception than it got? Oh, oh yes, great Elliot. question. Um, which one outperformed? Like, which one are you like, whoa, crazy? Fucking lovely. <laughs> what the hell? True. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. That one was very surprising. Everything I wanted. Everything that, I wanted. That one is so much bigger than. I mean, I bad guy, dude. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? Even why? Like, okay, which song is awesome that nobody cared about? <laughs> My future. I fucking love that song, man. They, we <laughs> you got we put that out and they were like, she fell off. I was like, rude. They were like, that ew, one, jazz. Ew. <laughs> ew, jazz. Yeah. Um, I feel like, yeah, my future when I was older. Yeah. Um, I really like Everybody Dies, but I understand why that. What else? Anything that, that really we feel like? We feel so like broadly eat. lucky about the whole thing that I think we're, very, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not, like, we're oh, not well, super embittered. You know what I mean? Like when something doesn't go. We don't go, spend time like sitting around being like. Oh, can I, tell, can I tell you a little like industry insider thing that I fucking hate? <laughs> yeah. Your team will sometimes be like, this is a smash. And mm. then when it isn't, you're like. That sucks. Yeah, people really should annoying. stop doing that. I and I have friends who like <laughs> who like, you know, like we're pretty cynical by nature, so we don't even believe them off the bat. But I have friends who will come to me and they'll be like, "My AR says it's a hit," and I and, and and then it's not, and they're like crushed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It happens. So this one's a little different than the one so far, but Rachel Sands. Rachel. Hi. What's up? Um. So my question is, um, what was your first realization that you were famous and how did you adapt to kind of losing that anonymity that you had? Oof. So weird. I got to tell you how weird it is. Like, you don't think it could happen to you. <laughs> it could happen to you. Um, damn, dude. Good question. The first realization that I was famous? Such a joke. Um, I have mine for you. What is it? Uh, we had some music come out and the, the famous is very different than like playing a show and people buying tickets to come to it. Right. That's like, feels like an end, a thing that you announced famous is like out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. People like chasing you. Yeah. Um, we went and saw post Malone play <laughs> a show in 2018. The Hollywood Bowl. Just the two of us, like no, no, no security, anybody or anything. No team. And I just remember that being like a really like scary chaotic experience i felt like billy's bodyguard it was crazy and i just remember being like oh we can't do this shit anymore like this is uh, too crazy yeah now that i'm thinking about it i think one of the first the one that comes to mind is we had gone on this tour i think it was like <laughs> we were on tour in spring of 2018 <laughs> sorry timelines um so <laughs> So the beginning of 2018, I was like basically like living in the world and existing and able to, you know, I remember going to the fucking Glendale Galleria, if you guys know about that place. <laughs> um, in like, you know, early 2018, I remember going to, you know, just like I could go out. I went to the, the, the Broad and like the uh, places that are out in the world. And, you know, some people would recognize me, but it was like that kind of lower level, like, I was like only nice. Just only like nice. People saying a nice only thing. Only like your day. some, you know, a couple girls uh, once that day or whatever. And then we went on this long ass tour for like months. And 
came back and it was like something had was different. And I remember going to hang out with this friend of mine and we went to the ice skating rink in Pasadena. And it was like a random day in the summer. Why? I don't know. But we went there and I remember like putting on my, like walking through the door and it was like, what did I do? Like, what is going, what's wrong? Like, so I was like, do I have like, what is on me that people are looking at me for? And I remember going and getting like my skates and putting them on and there were all these kids like, <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> and then we got on the like rink and it was like absolutely terrifying. It was like, first of all, there was like some school field trip, of course, that day. And so there was like a million kids everywhere. And they were like screaming and grabbing me and chasing me around and then cornered me. And I suddenly was like in this corner of this ice skating rink with literally like 80 kids around me. And they were all holding like tiny little like hanker, like, like, like uh, tissues for me to sign. And they were all holding cameras. And, and I was literally like, this is not real. Like this literally cannot be real. What the fuck is going on? And then honestly, from then on, I literally could not go anywhere for like years and it was it was pretty much like this year like honestly a few months ago where I was like damn I haven't had fun in like maybe seven years kind of dark you know and like boohoo oh my god my life is so fucking hard my life is great I have a cool life I'm very privileged and you know I I really enjoy so much of my life but like you guys don't know that fame shit is fucking real and it's horrible and You're it's also kinda... cool sometimes but that like no privacy shit i have five restraining orders and counting um, hopefully not counting oh and counting this is in the last three years i got five. Oh yeah you know i i i've had break-ins to be real and that has changed my life forever stalkers breaking into my house people following me you know people hiding and people you know threatening me, threatening my brother, threatening my friends, threatening my life. It's fucking scary. It's not, I did not sign up for that part. I literally didn't sign up for almost any of it. So, um, yeah, not to boohoo me, but like, it's tough. And, um, I, this year have been like, you know what? I'm just going to say, screw it. I'm just going to like go out into the world and exist. Cause honestly, I've spent the last seven years alone in rooms, like alone in a hotel room here and alone in a hotel room here. And I've been all over the world, all over the world. And I've seen nothing because I've just been in hotel rooms alone and never gone on a walk, never gone into a restaurant, really never gone out anywhere. You know, I barely had friends for like years and years and years. And it's just so funny that people have this idea. You know, I re oh, God, I'm talking so fucking fast. I reconnected with a fucking friend. I re reconnected with a friend last year and she and I hadn't talked for like, you know, the chunk of everything getting kind of crazy and astronomical. And she was like, yeah, I've spent the last four years thinking you were like being some, you know, cool celebrity and doing celebrity things. And you were too cool for me and had all these cool friends and did cool things. And I was like, I literally was sitting here alone crying for like four years. <laughs> so this sounds so kind of like, again, <laughs> I think we're trying to acknowledge all of our luck and our privilege, whatever. But I, I see this as a observer, because I'm not very famous at all, which is awesome. But the... Um, <laughs> If you really sit and think about most of the things that are like bring you some joy in your life, 
Like if you actually kind of ponder, like I went to this place with my friend and we had this experience and I went on this, like a lot of that is incredibly restricted and takes way more planning and is a very different experience and is genuinely like a lot of the time, like unsafe. Like there, there have been like many, many instances of like, Ooh, can't do that. There's a guy there who might kill you. Like there's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. absurd. Straight um, up. And it's just sort of like, I think we just live in a weird time with stuff like that. Um, not enough infrastructure on mental health, mental illness. Well, within even what you're talking about, I know there, there are ups and downs within that time. Right. And so Billy, you were talking just to connect it back to, what was I made for that you were saying that in 2019 versus a few years later, this was sort of maybe subconsciously on your mind, just even in your own life the last few years. Like the plot of the song kind of, is what you're talking about? <laughs> well, let's let, I guess, first of all, to tee it up, you get approached by Greta or Mark Ronson, or how did it start the, the fact that there might even be some involvement with Barbie? Technically, Enon, the CEO of Mattel, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'd kind of heard through a roundabout way. One of our team members was sitting with Enon and texted me. and was like, are you guys doing a song for the Barbie movie? And I was like, you know, not to my knowledge. <laughs> They're like, do you want to? And I was like, I don't, are they doing, what's the deal? And I basically got put in touch with Mark. And I'd kind of, I was pretty aware of like, everything that was public knowledge about Barbie at that point. Like I'd seen all those like set photos of right. Margot and Ryan on the beach and stuff. And I love Greta, like Billy and I love Greta and I love Noah's movies too. Anyway, so I knew all of that and it was basically like an opportunity to go see it. Um, and, and Greta flew out and showed us like we just, again, like talk about pivoting to like all our privilege, like so sick. Like we got shown the movie by Greta and, um, and it was unbelievable. Um, and then it was just about kind of, can we write a song that lives up to this movie and does it justice and is what we have to say about it. You know what I mean? Like when we saw it, Dua's song was already in there. Um, so there wasn't kind of like, oh, like write a big like pop anthem, um, which probably wasn't what we would have done anyway, but it was, that wasn't on the table. It was like, we have to come at this from a totally different angle. And just to preface the specifics of like, how you how you tackled this one? Can we let's go to Chloe Marlissa because it's it gives some background to your work with films. Hi, um, my name is Chloe and I'm a film production major. Um, I, so you guys have written a number of songs for movies like No Time to Die for No Time to Die, Nobody Like You <laughs> for Turning Red, and now What Was I Made for for Barbie. Um, so how is writing a song for a movie different than writing a song for an album? And which process do you guys prefer? And can I just say it also goes the other way, right? Because um, when I was older, was inspired by a movie, right? So you guys have always been big film True. fans, right? Yeah, big, big film fans. Um, yeah, this goes back to like the the character stuff. I Billy, just... Billy's just trying to get you guys to clap. She's like, I love movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so... <laughs> you're so proud of that one. Um, it is so fucking satisfying like being given like i've always said like phineas and i like you give us a prompt you know we can we can we can write from a prompt that that is like something i think we really thrive at to be objective about it um i just really like it i love not having to worry about myself and worry about my own life and my stupid experience and my stupid feelings you know i'm so real it's relieving it's honestly relieving and the difference, it's 
really different, but it's also not even that different when you really think about it. Because the actual process of us writing it is the same. It's just kind of, we're approaching it differently. What's so insane, and this has happened multiple times, is that, especially for What Was I Made For, you know, this is a song that we were writing, and in the moment, writing it about Barbie and about her experience in that movie, and not about me, and not about Phineas, and not about anything about our lives at all. And I remember, like, not thinking about myself. I was thinking about this character that was so powerful and inspiring and beautiful. And what was so insane, and again, it's happened multiple times, which I find very eerie, is, you know, a couple days later, we'd finished it and whatever, and I was listening to it, and I was playing it for some friends, and I was like, like, this is about me. Like, I didn't mean to do that. We did not mean to do that at all. But it's so clear that, like, your subconscious is there, you know? And when something moves you, it fucking moves you. And um, I just think that's really cool. I I don't think we would have written that song or even a song close to that song if we hadn't, if we had tried to write about my experience. I really don't. I don't think it would have happened. I think I would have been too in my head and too worried about how, do I actually feel that way or... No, I actually, I think I, you don't even know how you feel sometimes, man. It's like crazy. It's crazy to, you know, do you have anything to say about that? Well, I was joking, we were joking about this the other day because it's like, um, it it feels like licensed fan fiction. (laughs) Like it really, like that's when we talk about Bellyache or like one of the first songs we ever wrote, Billy wrote about like a character on the TV show, The Walking Dead. Like we've been writing fan fiction forever. And so eventually, finally, uh, filmmakers have asked us to do it professionally. But that's that's really how it like feels. A big thi- like a big songwriting challenge that we used to do was like, let's pretend to write a song for a Bond movie. Yes. We used to do that all the time. And that was such a ridiculous, like, well, why would that ever happen? But it's like just a fun challenge to do. And then we made a song for a Bond movie. So it's cool. That's great. It's cool. <laughs> so... With our last uh, couple minutes here, we have one question from Greta Cifarelli, which will be next. And then we are going to have a rapid fire, if that's all right, where yeah. there will be questions from there, but it'll be just a quick question, quick answer kind of thing. To so, Sorry to anyone who, like, we've, we've given verbose answers. No, it's sorry great. About it. We appreciate it. <laughs> Greta, go for it. Hi, guys. I'm Greta. I'm a public relations and advertising major. My question for you is, what is the film song by someone else that you most wish you'd created? Or in other words, which original song for a film has impressed you the most? That's a good one. (laughs) We both love Skyfall. We always have. Yeah, that was also because of like, you know, our age. That was like the first Bond movie I even heard of. I had never heard of Bond before that. Um, and Skyfall was like, damn, that's so fucking cool. Oh, she's so cool. Um, also, what's that? Um, doesn't Sarah McLaughlin have one in Toy Story? Or who is that? When she loved me. Right? When somebody loved me. Thank you. Everything was beautiful. The Ben Fold stuff and Over the Hedge. Yeah! yeah! <laughs> you guys seen Over the Hedge? Those songs... Those songs... Are, those songs are him. I those are those songs the rock. Impression. I love that movie, and Bunfolds absolutely killed it. Also, <laughs> Spirit. You ever seen that? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Brian Adams. Yeah. Here I am. This is me. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Um, Shallow. Well, <laughs> oh yeah. 
Fuck yeah. No round of applause, I hear. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, but this is, you know, in saying all of this, I think it's, it's so clear that we're fans and love movies and love music in movies. And I think that, I think that like music in movies does not get like enough like recognition. Like people do not talk about how music in a movie or a show like literally makes or breaks whatever you're watching. And it can be like, dude, I have the, um, I have the soundtrack for what like American beauty. I don't, I've never seen that movie. I have, <laughs> I ha I should, I heard it's very good, but I, I have all the photos saved of it. I'm such a little poser with that one, but I, I bought the soundtrack for that movie because I thought the music was so, so, so beautiful. And dude, it just, it just does not get enough credit. Absolutely. All right. So quick question from the audience and tight answers, and we'll just zoom through the okay. last few here. So Rebecca Greenwood. Hello. Um, I'm Rebecca Greenwood. I'm a broadcast and documentary major. My question is, who is your dream collaborator on a song? <sighs> like Frank Sinatra. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, if it was possible, that's my dream. I'm trying good, to be quick, so I'm saying, that's all I'm saying. Shh. Phineas, anybody? Good answer. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Valentina Simon. Hi. Um, you kind of already answered this question a little bit, but this is for Phineas. So you produce music, obviously, for Billy and others, um, and you also perform. So do you ever see yourself focusing on one more than the other, or would you want to continue doing both? Uh, I try to balance it in terms of, like, what the cycle is. You know, if you make an album and then you want to tour it, you tour it, and then you're sort of off. Like, it's it's got a kind of a cyclical thing. So I try to just keep it sort of, like, lined up, you know. Hi, my name is Zan. Um, I'm a creative producing major. And my question is, if you guys had gone to college, what do you think you would have chosen to study and why? <laughs> Lol. No shade. <laughs> you burned me there. <laughs> if you had gone to college. Um, you were smart enough to get in. <laughs> Literally. The funny thing is, I would not get in. That's just the truth. I think we can arrange it here if you ever feel like <laughs> taking a class. You know. <laughs> Um, I don't even know what you even major in for stuff like this. I don't even know the choices. I don't. I guess, Phineas, like, <laughs> you guys love music, but you know music. So is there something else you would rather be learning more? I about? was always, I grew up as a dancer, and my plan was to be a dancer. That's, that's what I wanted to do with my life. Like, I didn't mean to do this. <laughs> it's so cool. But I, I was like, my dream was to like be a dancer and dance in school and, you know, go do that. So right. um, I would have wanted to get into a, some sort of dance college or whatever that means. And I think last time when you guys came on the podcast, we were just noting it's one of these like freak things. If you had not gotten injured from dance when you did. Yeah, I wouldn't have quit. We wouldn't have made music. It's true. It's really crazy. Um, yeah. Riley Wood. Um, hi, I'm Riley, and I'm a broadcast and doc major. And as someone who personally uses music to kind of heal um, from experiences, cool. I was wondering if you guys had specific songs that you remember just helping you get through like hard times. Oh my God. Great question. So many. So, 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 so many. Saw You in a Dream oh. by Japanese House. Is like Same. That's my answer too. That's One great. of the greatest songs ever in, in the history of the world. Oh, I just thought of one more, which yeah, is uh, some dark shit happened and the song that I listened to literally it was like one of you know I just did my like 
Sorry, I'm not on Spotify, but I did my Apple Music replay. Sorry. Sorry, I'm lame like that, but... <laughs> what? <laughs> Boo! What? Um, anyway, I I love looking at, like, the end of year, like, this is what you... Whatever. Um, but the song that really was, like, basically uh, the soundtrack to my life during some shit was this song called We've Been Loving in Silence by an artist called Marrow, M-A-R-O. And... She's incredible voice. Unbelievable. That song. I, I can't even listen to that song. That song destroys my soul. Yeah. Hi, I'm Naomi. I'm a creative producing major. And my question is, what is one thing you wish you could tell your younger self when you're just starting out in the music business? Stop being such an asshole. Yeah. Um, nothing you're doing matters yet. What? I was like so concerned and and terrified of like something when i was like 17 years okay, old but for me i would say the other thing because you're saying nothing you're doing matters i th did not give a fuck about a goddamn thing back then and i wish a little bit i had a little bit more because i just was saying stuff <laughs> i was just saying stuff it, this is a problem you know like people were loving people it too were, <laughs> they were. but like you know i can't the fact that every second of my life from 13 forever but like specifically 13 to like 18 is like filmed and anyone can just go and watch it forever is guys that's really tough news it's tough maybe news. So I, would, I don't know i don't know what i would say i'd probably be like shut the fuck up <laughs> well this is this one may be related i'm teddy and Negnostophilus. um my question is if you could get if you could get one do-over for something you've said or done since becoming famous what would it be <laughs> Just one? Just one. You tell me what it should be. No, I bet no. you guys know. No. I'm just kidding. I've never done anything wrong. Never. Um, you know, like dumb, stupid shit I've said. But also it's like, what the fuck? I was a teenager. Everything I said when I was a teenager, just discount. That's just how I feel. I feel like anybody who was a teenager... <laughs> anything you said when you were a teenager should just be discounted. Know what I'm saying? Most stuff that you say. Right? Sorry. I'd say that like most stuff that you say that's in like, you know, poor taste or or whatever is like lack of education growing up, right? If you're like 40 oh, spouting true. some shit, you true. might just be an asshole. <laughs> but if you're like when nine, you're like 14, yeah, you just like you have no idea shit. about anything and your friend said it and you're like, that's awesome. I'm gonna say that also. Um, yeah, Xbox Live is a terrible place. <laughs> Okay, last three. Nina Fazio, go. Hi, I'm Nina. I'm a public relations and advertising major. And my question is, what is your go-to karaoke song? I've been asked this question a good amount. I've never done karaoke before one uh -oh. time. Guys, my job. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't want to hear my friends drunk sing badly. That sucks. <laughs> and everyone's like, dude, you got to come. And I'm like, yeah. no. no. I've been twice lame. <laughs> Whoa. What's yours? <laughs> um, Judas by Lady Gaga. Judas, Judas, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, <It's> fire. <laughs> I do. If I had, if somebody was had a gun to my head, in your head, to my head. Okay. I do. Uh, I do break stuff by Limp Biscuit. Nice, nice, nice. Just I would one do of like those days. <laughs> I would do like something by Cake, like The mm. Distance or like Never There or some shit. I don't know. 
Hi guys, my name is Neela Gariley. I'm a film and television production major. Um, you kind of already answered this, but if you weren't doing music, what would you be doing? Um, yeah, I think like dance. Sorry, that's boring, but I, I would have wanted. But but the problem is that I was dancing, 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 and then like had a fat injury, and so it was just plucked right out. And then it was kind of like, you're not going to dance for a really long time. And then we made music and then things just changed. So clearly that wasn't supposed to be or whatever. Um, but I think, I don't know. I'm, um, I really love driving. UPS. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I would want to be like a stunt driver. That would, that's like, honestly, I might just have to do it anyway. <laughs> I love to cook. I'm not like a good chef or anything, but I love to cook. I'd love to go to culinary school. Hey. So the final question is coming from Cora. Hi. You two have accomplished so much already in your careers, but what is something that's still on your to-do list? Mm, there's so many things racing through my brain to say, but I shan't. I would really do want to write a musical. That's like the thing I really want to go to. Yeah, that's awesome. They love that. Um, I would love to direct a movie someday. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that. I really want to... <laughs> I can't. I can't say the other one. Careful. <laughs> like, it's not musically at all, but like, I feel like, like, I really want to like, have a, like a slumber party with like Nicki Minaj and Ice Spice. <laughs> But like, and just be like sweet, sweet girls and just be sweet together. And I just want to like snuggle and be sweet. <laughs> I think I could do it too. <laughs> well. Do it. I'm also devastated this is coming to an end. I'm having so much fun. Well, we are so, <laughs> so grateful to you guys. Really want to thank all the people who made this come together from Billy and Phineas's team, from... Uh, at Chapman, Dean Steve Galloway, Kenya Suarez, Montana Golan, Noella Oeso, Diana Kalaji, and many other student workers and others. Um, I want to also thank our questioners. I'm sorry we couldn't get to everyone, but I'm glad it got you in the room. And most of all, I want to thank these two. This is something really special for these guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. And to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in. <laughs>